Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super exciting founder that we have today, uh, building, scaling, financing, I mean, all the above. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about going from the banking or hedge fund industry to really, you know, starting your own business and all the above. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Boz Yari. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro, for having me. So originally born in Tel Aviv. So, uh, you know, quite, a, you know, remarkable parents, you know, your, your mother, you know, a survivor, you know, also of the Holocaust. So uh, tell us, you know, give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? I said, you know, Tel Aviv back in, back in 70s, 80s, it was, uh, it felt like a, like a village, right? And it, and it grew super interesting times. I had a fairly good childhood. My mother, you know, as you said correctly, she's a Holocaust survivor, she was a small child and a baby back, back then, the Holocaust. But but you know, but the stories that you hear and and how the the way that she was brought up is uh, yeah, puts everything in life in perspective, right? And so we had a lot of um, a lot of love, but but uh, but I just like to call it tough love. <laughs> but 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 the remarkable thing, you know, is my mother is that she's uh, she's uh, she's a, she's an internal optimist, as I like to call it. She always chooses to look at the glass half full, right? With everything that she's gone through, uh, she always chooses to say to look at the glass half full and always tells us, you know, it's a muscle. So from my point of view, I think this is something that I always uh, try to uh, uh, remember and take away um, through my through the journey of my life. Now, it's interesting because in your case, you know, you see no, no background in tech and and here you are, you know, in the in the tech startup world, right? And, and we'll talk about that just in, in a little bit. But, but for you, you know, like, as part of being in Israel, it's important to, 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 to do the army, right? And it's, it's, you know, the training that you have to go through. And in this case, you were a paratrooper. And, you know, I'd like to ask you how, I mean, for, for everyone in Israel, they have to go through this. But I guess for you, what kind of ethic, you know, work ethic and, 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 and perspective and desire did it give you to really, you know, tackle your life in the way that you do? I, and it's a great question. I've been thinking about this a long time, right? And, and I think I was, uh, you know, a lot of tech founders, um, a lot of Israeli tech founders have, um, you know, coming from different units from the Israeli army, intelligence units that have been for decades uh, um, the bedrock and, oh, and, and um, for, for, um, for cybersecurity and software engineering. And I, and I was, as, as they like to call it, you know, the ones that have been pushed out of planes. But but moreover than not, you know, the thing about being a paratrooper, and I in the last year was also the leading navigator of my team that led the unit, that led the the, the regiment, that led the, the brigade, that led the division. If you really think about that, and and and, and then you 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 know that thing has led uh, me through my life. If you know a leading navigator means that you're not commanding the force, but you're you're the, you're you know you're the ones that go, uh, you know, you're the you're the one that goes front. And needs to take a lot of decision, and a lot of people are counting on you. And there's a lot of you know, um, you know, working under extreme stress and 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 very little visibility and and a lot of volatility. So if you think about that, and 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 I've and I love that, and I love that throughout my entire journey. Back when you're you know 19 or 20, you don't really grasp what 
you were doing in terms of having responsibility on the lives of, you know, hundreds and if not thousands of people. But I think that also led me to be, you know, also a portfolio manager in different hedge funds because it's the responsibility, right? Managing, you know, millions and hundreds of millions of, of, of investors' money and then leading share gain. And it's all about, you know, founding a startup and, and, and tackling a big problem. I, can, I guess I guess I kind of like uh, being, you know, leading, leading and being front and and doing everything firstly by myself and then leading the way and maybe having the responsibility of, of all the people, you know, with me. Probably something that if you look back, I think it goes across, it weaves through, creates an interesting tapestry. Now, in your case, after this, you studied a combination of law and business, but you didn't do much with law. Why was that the case? <laughs> um, yeah, it's an uh, interesting story. Right? Why did I actually choose law? Right? It's so far away from me, but being the geek that I am, um, I used to, there was a back, back then in the show in the 80s, I don't know if you recall, called LA Law, right? And LA Law, you know, I used to love that show. And I, and I saw them, you know, the, I saw them in, the, in court and everything. And I thought to myself, I want to be exactly like them. And then you find that reality is not really like that. Uh, and that actually uh, being a lawyer means, you know, you're pushing papers and 80% of the time it's very, you know, it's very arduous. But I always found that, you know, the fact that, you know, um, the one that you're dealing with is your adversary and, and it's all about, and it, 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 it created a lot of mistrust. As, as a lawyer, you create a lot of mistrust and I didn't like that. Right. And I wanted to build and, and, and it's at the age of back then, uh, what was it? 26. Um, I, I found to myself, uh, you know, I bent, back then woke up one day and I told, uh, um, my girlfriend was uh, my wife. I told her, uh, you know, I don't want to go to the office. And she told me, if that happened, you're 26, what will happen at the age of 40? That day I resigned. Uh, and I thought to myself, this is not a way to, to, um, to um, you know, follow my career. And, my, and, and one of my biggest passions was trading. So I thought to myself, you know, let's find a job in trading. How hard can it be? <laughs> um, and from there on, I, I became an FX derivatives trader and one of the biggest banks in Israel and the rest is history. Um, but I being... I found that, you know, following your passion is something that is extremely, extremely important. And you shouldn't be afraid of, you know, even if you did a mistake, taking a stop loss understanding and trying something else. And in this case, I mean, you, that's, that's the way that you enter the financial services space. But, but you ended up switching to hedge funds and, you know, going from Israel to London. So how was that transition like? You know, in Israel, Israel capital markets has always been, and back in the days, I'm talking about 2004 to 2005, to, you know, up until 2007 and eight, before the global financial crisis, Israel was almost an island of its own, right? The FX, FX was the biggest, you know, equity and equity trading wasn't a big thing um, or wasn't as evolved as it is right now. And and back in 2007, I felt, obviously, I got an offer from a, from a great uh, hedge fund back in the days. Uh, Brevin Howard Asset Management, which was one of the prominent hedge funds in Europe back then. But moreover, I felt to myself that the, you know, there's some sort of a glass ceiling in Israel. And, if, and, and, and for me, the way to really leapfrog and, and try to um, you know, challenge myself was to you know, throw myself into the unknown. Um, one of the things I love the most is being the stupid person in the room. Because, right? uh, you know, being the smartest, I don't like it. I feel that, you know, I like to learn stuff. I like to learn stuff. I like to challenge myself and others. So the fact that I, you know, from 
feeling that one of the um, strongest in the Israeli market to one of the less experienced in, in the UK market, which is extremely, extremely interesting and, 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 and diverse in terms of capital markets, make me feel really good and super, super uh, interest me and challenge me. So how was that experience, you know, in the hedge fund, you know, on the buy side? Because, I mean, you did that for seven years. So, I mean, it's a, quite a bit of time. Ups and downs, right? A lot of volatility, right? You're very happy. You're, you're as happy as your P&L, right? It's, it's like when you make a lot of money, you're very happy and your ego is very high. And when you lose a lot of money, you blame everybody else but yourself. Um, but, but, but at the end of the day, extremely, extremely, extremely important part of my life, right? Because that taught me a few stuff that taught me, you know, how to, um, how to look at risk, how to manage risk, how to understand that not taking a decision is taking actually a decision. So procrastinating is taking a decision not to take a decision. And sometimes that is actually more costly than taking a wrong decision. And the fact that, you know, no politics, no BS, um, you're as good as, you know, when you see a PNL every day and you see whether you won or lost, then you can sugarcoat it as much as you want. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't hold water, right? So I think that's one of the things that I love the most because everything is extremely, extremely transparent. Everything is very in your, very much in your face. And, and if you are, and you can, you, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be, um, the one, you know, to be pushy. You just need to sit down. Uh, uh, think very hard and 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 then implement different strategies, right? Um, and I think that teaches you a lot in terms of long term. You know, the smart people who put in the energy, the time, and the effort win. And in your case too, I mean, it was um, interesting there because late late thirties, you have a midlife crisis, sort of speak. So what what happened? You know, everybody says to me that you know Shergin was uh, was was born out of a midlife crisis at the age of thirty eight. So, you know, end of 2014, I get to a place where basically Shergan was born out of my, call it frustration from the securities lending market. And, 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 and that more or less started from, you know, 2011, 2012, um, started digging and understanding this ecosystem called securities lending. And the more I dug, the more I understood how, you know, how deep the rabbit hole goes, right, if you will. And, and, and. And, and obviously keeping my day job, that became some sort of my crusade. And, and back in 2014, when I thought that I, I understood uh, the, you know, the, the, the problem and I thought that I have a solution in place, I was very naively, I, I called one of my uh, best friends back then who headed the innovation at Hapolim Bank in Israel. He's, you know, he's my co-founder since then, Liad Amit. And we thought to ourselves, well, we understand the market, we understand collaboration, we understand fintech. Let's find a good uh, CTO, and how hard can it be? <laughs> Only to understand that you know that um, that's actually it's extremely hard, extremely hard cracking a, a heavily intermediated, heavily regulated, heavily fragmented ecosystem, right? And and it's been a humbling experience in the last seven years, but but you know, but an amazing experience nonetheless. So for me, yeah, Shergin was uh, some some say that was born out of my uh, call it a midlife crisis, early midlife crisis at the age of thirty eight. Now for you, you know, and 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 I guess for the people that are that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Shergin? How do you guys make money? Yeah, well, you know, Shergin is uh, is um, I remember when I started talking about Shergin back in two thousand fifteen. I said securities lending. Everybody should ask me securities what? Securities lending. Securities what? Um, and securities lending is, is very simple, right? We have a 
we, you know, investors um, have an asset, a financial asset called a stock, a bond, ETF. Um, and that stock is a financial asset you have that you can benefit from the appreciation or depreciation. You can, you can um, benefit from, you know, periodic installments like coupons or dividends. But there's a third revenue stream, which is the ability to rent out the asset. Now, I know it's, it doesn't sound really intuitive, right? But then if you think about real estate, it's very intuitive to rent out an asset. In, 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 uh, in capital markets, you are able to rent out as a, benef- as a holder of stocks, bonds, and ETFs, the owner. You're able to rent them out. It's a, it's, a, it's a financial right. The issue is that this is an existing ecosystem. It's been there for 60 years, right? And why would one actually want to borrow stocks? Because, you know, every, every uh, strategy that involves short selling requires borrowing securities against it, right? But little do people know that only about 10% of the use cases are uh, for what we call directional short selling, because I believe that the stock is going down. There are many other use cases for that as well. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. What were the early days like, you know, of this when you guys got started back in 2014? Yeah. So listen, so Shagan is all about, I like to call it like, like the Airbnb for securities lending. I, I don't like using Airbnb for that, but I think that gives you the right context. And I think for us, we looked at the market back then and we said, wait a minute, there's an issue here, right? You've got we all have a right to rent out our asset and derive another uh, another source of income. But in essence, about 20% of the users will hold trillions and trillions of securities, which is, you know, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, the, you know, the big financial institutions of this world are able to lend out their securities. But you and I, Alejandro, are not unable to exercise, to benefit from that, from that basic right. And we thought, and we saw that the issue is, is usually because our banks or brokers, what we call custodians, are usually unable to provide that service because they don't have the right infrastructure, they don't have the right uh, um, uh, feature or product line and so on, because it's hard to build a securities lending uh, uh, proposition. It takes a lot of money and a lot of time, uh, you know, two to three years, 15 to $20 million to build it. 
So we thought to ourselves, if we can actually um, create a solution that enables every financial institution to almost plug and play and, and, and offer securities lending to itself and or to its underlying clients without building, you know, starting from scratch in a model, what we call lend as you go, almost pay as you go kind of a thing, then that becomes an extremely compelling proposition because no capex, you don't really need to invest too much into it. And, and you generate an, an additional source of income. And if you don't generate anything, you don't pay anything. And so it seemed to us at the beginning, like a, like a win-win, right? Like a slam dunk. Right? Why wouldn't you lend? Why wouldn't you generate an additional return um, on your on your securities? Right, especially if you don't need to pay anything up front. Only to understand that it's not that easy. Right? Uh, um, again, heavily fragmented, heavily intermediated, heavily um, regulated ecosystem as a whole. What we understood very quickly is that you need to really um, in in this, in capital markets technology or product is not the first thing that dictates uh, uh, um, um, usage or, or, or dictates uh, uh, um, distribution. What actually is trust. And trust, you can only gain what we call the hard way, which is very slowly over time through doing stuff. So we always felt that we had the best product, but it took a long time until we started getting proper adoption. At what point did you realize that you had adoption? At what point? When did that happen? It's a few points, right? There wasn't like a, 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 because it's a B2B, B2B and B2B enterprise even, it's not really, it doesn't happen overnight. So I think we were shouting out of every rooftop. And when we look at the market, and that was premature back in 2015, that one of the biggest trends in capital markets is, and, and it's going to change a lot of things in capital markets, what we call private investor participation. If you think about Robinhood back in the days, 2015, everybody was just kicking in. We thought to ourselves, this is probably one of the biggest trends out there, right? And if we go back to what I said about a tra being a trader, um, you, a, a good trader, you need to spot, you know, what we call the, the super trends, right? And if you ride those super trends, then you, you've done 90% of the work, right? And we thought to ourselves, this is going to be a super trend, you know, private investor participation in capital markets. But if this is a super trend, then super trends has, you know, a couple of legs, right? The first leg in the evolution is democratizing, giving access, right? So we thought to ourselves, all of these, you know, the Robin Hoods of this world, you know, all these neo brokers, online brokers, wealth managers will compete firstly on giving access to private investors, letting them trade. Right? And, they're going, you know, and we said it's going to be a price wall. And, and then we saw Robin Hood launching their fee free share trading. Um, but that's stage one. And I think the evolution of this industry has ended only last year or, or early this year, right? Which is give as get as many, as many clients as possible. And, and, and forget about costs. <laughs> forget about how do you monetize the business, get as many, as many millions of clients as possible. Second stage of the evolution, because these are very you know, heavily regulated financial institutions and all, a lot of them VC-backed, then how do you monetize the business? And if you monetize the business, then there's a, then there's a transactional leg, which is you know, fees for, for transacting and maybe payment for order flow, which we know is heavily scrutinized. But then what do you do with the assets? You've amassed, you know, you, you've, you know, clients are coming to you, you've amassed billions and billions of assets, which are sitting there idle, collecting dust instead of collecting income. And if you look at the big financial institutions, one of the things that they, they master, they know really well, you know, all the big prime brokers, all the big investment banks, they know really well how to really squeeze the orange harder in terms of 
you know, um, monetizing the assets, creating income from the assets themselves, not just from a transactional flow. And none of these online brokers, or most of them, didn't have that capability, right? Because you need to really have the expertise, but then the technology to do it. And we thought to ourselves, this is a trend, and that if we provide them the solution in our API-based, custody agnostic, geographically agnostic solution that is almost a plug-and-play, then this is something that it will be extremely valuable because they'll all, at a certain stage, will need to start thinking how do they monetize the business and how do they monetize the assets. And 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 we saw that all the you know all the providers in securities lending today, all the big custodians that were providing securities lending back in the days, none of them had a solution for wealth managers. So obviously that's the what led you guys there. But I guess um, you know one thing that is very important here that I think that you know you guys have been quite successful on too is is on raising money because you know building an operation like this it it takes capital. So so as part of 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 that you know progr- pro- progression of events. You know, how, how, how much capital have you guys raised today? Almost 80 million. Almost 80 million. And how has been the journey? You know, how, how, how would you say that those cycles, you know, you were obviously walking us through the life cycles of the business, but how would you say that in parallel to that, those financing cycles have also transitioned? Listen, Alejandro, uh, and uh, I'm sure you, you've you've interviewed a lot of people in this thing, in in, in deal makers, and I'm sure you've heard many times. It's uh, it was very challenging and very humbling. Right at the beginning, you know, capital markets fintech there aren't you know, what we call 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 B two B capital markets fintech there aren't many, and back in 2015 there were very you know, very few, um, and so. For us, going into VC and trying to pitch in different VCs, trying to pitch securities lending, you know, people were asking securities what? Securities what? <laughs> they really understand that, you know, back when we were raising uh, money for the first time, which was like partly C, partly C, uh, Series A, talking about started doing it July, August 2015. You know, I have it in my record, you know, 54 investors, 48 said no. And, and some of those 48, it was a, it was a, a painful no, right? It was a no that this is going to, this is a, uh, I remember one specific that told me, this is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. And so these are, and, and you take these things and it's a humbling experience, especially coming from a hedge fund, you know, thinking that, you know, I've done my bid, I, you know, brand millions, hundreds of millions, you know, and then going to people saying, basically what you've done is absolutely um, uh, non-fundable. But, but it was, but we went through it and we raised money. Uh, um, you know, seed investors that we were very thankful, some VCs, some angels. Um, and from, you know, we, the vision was so big um, that, and, and that, you know, more and more people got bought into the vision, right? But I think it's very simple. If you think about the value proposition, it's quite simple, uh, uh, you know, generating money, generating money for, 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 um, for investors, right? Money and assets they've already owned. And I think if you think, and I think that, simplifying it distilling it was was you know captured a lot of people's mind that plus that it's a huge market but it was very hard very challenging and and i think but we got better and better and better at it and and obviously the businesses you know started performing well and 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 in february and through the rounds we had like three different rounds but, and i think the latest was in, in february um this year when we closed a 64 million dollar round uh, led by uh, you know Westcap uh, Ventures with the Growth Equity Fund and City and Citibank and others, um, and I think 
for us, that round was, uh, uh, we were very proud of it. Not because of the amount, but because of, of the way that we've prepared to it, right? We started preparing to it back in March, uh, like a military operation, right? If you think about, again, military. So like a military operation, we started preparing to in, in March, April, you know, having the right list of, 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 of VCs that we think that understand what we do and, and can buy into the vision, not just money, uh, uh, people that are running checks, but actually the ones that understand and have invested in things that have some correlation to what we do. We, uh, with many of them, we had uh, connections that we started very, very, uh, very early, uh, almost every month or every two months, getting them, you know, making sure that they're updated. And then we got ready. Back then, if you recall, 2021, when we got ready to the, the round, we wanted to raise it from uh, the, the lead to be a U.S. investor. And don't forget, U.S. back then was closed for, for foreigners, right? Because of COVID. So we got everything ready. Uh, we hoped that it would open. And then when there was a sign that it's going to be open, we got everything ready and we waited for, you know, for the president to announce that, you know, the U.S. is open for business again. It was, it was, uh, I'm very proud of my team because it was, it was managed like a military operations, right? If uh, U.S. was open for business for foreigners on the 8th of November, that's uh, one of the anecdotes, right? On the 8th of November, we were, everybody told us, wait until Thanksgiving and then come, right? Because we're not, we're not sure what people will be in the office or not. We said no. We're going for it, right? We went on the eighth. Uh, on the eighth, it was open for business. On the the week of the thirteenth, we were uh, in New York, road showing. We started all the week of the thirteenth until the seventeenth uh, or eighteenth, and then, if you recall correctly, uh, after a week, um, uh, um, the U.S. broke into, um, and everybody was in the office in New York, very much looking to to meet us. Some of them haven't had a personal in person meeting for two years. Uh, so, so, so the vibe was great. The vibe was great. The, 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 um, uh, the conversations were very good. And then everybody went to, uh, Thanksgiving and then we, um, Omicron hit and the U S closed again. So we had a gap of two weeks of which we took five days, right. Uh, um, to, to actually pitch. And I think that was the thing that, that got us to a very successful round. Meeting people in in person, getting that 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 great vibe that you can't really get through Zoom, that enthusiasm, that authenticity, that real conver- real conversation face to face, which I think are, are you know are uh, priceless. Um, we got it. We got it through. And people say to us very much all the time, "You were so lucky, so lucky." I don't think luck has luck has a lot to do with it, but not everything, right? We that was a plan, really good plan that uh, impeccably executed. Well, as they say, lucky is a preparation meets opportunity, no? So, um, so good stuff. Exactly. I love when the, I think, I think was it Napoleon or Julius Caesar that says, I'd, like, I'd rather have a lucky general than a small general, right? So I, I, I like being the, the lucky general. So, so let's talk about here about the future. Imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and wake up in a world where the vision of share again is fully realized. What does that world look like? Wow, that's a that's a that's an amazing vision. So we think about it. You know, Shagin wants to be. Um, Securities lending is part of what we call ABL, asset based lending, right? And where we think about a, a, a world where private investors are a huge force or, uh, or almost a determining factor within capital markets in, in five years' time, then we want to be. If you think about Plaid for payments or Currency Cloud for FX. We want to be, um, you know, sharing for, you know, what we call 
for for wealth managers, for online brokers. Uh, we want to be that B2B that gives them everything for, for asset-based lending. You want securities lending, connect. You, there's an app, there's an application for that. You want uh, a margin lending, that's that. You want, uh, you know, if you want digital lending, NPL, non-purpose lending, everything to do with, with asset-based lending, and which is a huge business within capital markets. It's a, it's a, it doesn't sound very sexy, but it's a huge business. We're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. Instead of opening a line of business, each wealth manager that is going to do that, they can connect to Shagin and Shagin provides them that whole thing. A, a marketplace, a, um, the, the platform, the tech, the whole thing. Business as a service. I love it. I love it. Now, imagine that I put you to a time machine and I bring you back in time. Maybe to that moment that you were having a midlife crisis, right? You were <laughs> coming out of your, you know, office in the, at the hedge fund and there in London, and and you know you're able to to let's say grab that younger self and sit that younger self for a for a coffee or a cup of tea, right? Like as you guys you know would say there. Imagine you were able to give yourself one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why? Given what you know now. As a founder, really trailblazing, what you call a category, category defining, a category of one. I think I always use the quote by Rory Vaden. As of, you know, it's called Take the Stairs. Great book, by the way. Highly recommend. And there's a great saying about something to do with 9-11. I won't bore you with the details of the story, but he has a great saying. He said, it's okay to be scaled. Just do it scaled. Right? So, so the feel, you know, feel when you're a founder, first-time founder as well, everything is new to you. Everything is new to you, right? Everything. So the psychological fear is much greater than any physical fear, right? And so you're afraid to look at this. You're afraid to deal with things that you know that are not that good, right? So dealing with this thing. So making, understanding that you are, it's okay to be afraid, but just continue doing it, right? And, and continue pushing forward and continue. Um, don't, you know, a lot of people say, don't be afraid. Yes, it's okay to be afraid, but but just continue operating with that fear inside and recognize that fear and move forward. Um, I think that is something that, you know, I would go and tell my um, younger version of myself. I love seven it. Years so ago. Both for the, for the people that are listening that want to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, you know, they can, they can jump on our website, you know, shagging.com or, or Twitter or LinkedIn. I am, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and obviously the company as well. Very much love to, if, if anyone is a financial institution that wants to uh, hear more about sharing, happy to have a chat. Amazing. Well, hey, boss, super nice to have you on. Thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Alejandro, thank you for inviting me. It was great. Thanks very much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.